Church, good morning. Grace and peace to everybody upstairs, downstairs, and at home. And I want to begin by saying thanks for your patience with us through all of this. Just leading through this has not, you know, I, I think suffice to say it has not been easy. And, and, and we've sought to try to provide the best we can in worship. But it's not, it's not, it's certainly not perfect. It's got its challenges. And, and we're listening to feedback. We constantly are talking to, to, to those that have ideas for us and how we can do, how we can do better, moving on the arc towards better. So we'll, we'll continue to, to, to do that. But I want to always be saying thank you folks upstairs thank you for I'm looking at the there's cameras thank you to the folks downstairs thank you to the folks at home for your patience let's get into God's word can we John 3 John chapter 3 And my heart is full this morning as we're going to look to God's word. And something that I regularly say, this is going to really bother me, so I've got to fix this, guys. I feel like I'm going to trip if, this, if I don't push the, uh, the wrinkles out of this thing. Uh, something that I have said regularly, you guys probably have heard me say this. When we start in on God's word, I'll sometimes say the phrase, let's get to work. Let's get to work, reading the word, understanding God's word. And I had someone come up to me once and they said, um, can I make a suggestion or can I offer you some feedback? Of, of course, I never like getting feedback. You don't either, right? But, but, um, but I said, what was I going to say? I said, of course. And they said, I really dislike when you say before we start in on, on to study God's word, let's get to work. And I said, Really? Why? And they said, because it's Sunday. I don't want to think about work. Like, I don't want church is all about fun and joy and relaxation. I don't want to do anything that seems like work. Like, church shouldn't feel like work. So I, I've, I've always thought about that. We had a good interaction over it. But I, I felt like today I would try to tell you what I mean by work. So let's just imagine, you guys imagine that someone is setting before you the most amazing meal. Like for me, that would be like a prime cut of steak, but everything that goes along with it. Like if Amy just makes an incredible meal and just lays it out, and then she brings like this incredible cheesecake, and it's all sitting right there. What I mean by let's get to work is let's get to work enjoying what God has laid before us. You with me? Let's get to work. All right? John chapter 3, nothing better than to eat and behold Jesus through his word. I want you to listen as I read this passage. We're going to read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And I want you to pay attention. You're going to look for a word that is used over and over and over and over again. That's always important. If God repeats himself, we should pay attention to the repetition. He's wanting to introduce a theme or he's wanting to highlight something. There's a word that's used over and over here. I wonder if you could see it, find it, circle it, highlight it. John chapter 3. Let's give attention to God's holy word. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
Now this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Lord, would you bless the, the reading, the preaching of your word, and would you pen your truth to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what was the word? Truly repeated many times. There was a word repeated more times than truly. Born. This is a, this is a if you look at the heading in, in my Bible, there's a heading right above chapter 3. Yours probably has that as well. I'm looking at the translation to ESV. It says, you must be born again. S theme here of birth. I remember the births of all four of my children very vividly. My wife remembers them more vividly. But I remember, number one, um, was the, the, the eternal labor. Like I think 27 hours, then sent home, then back two days later, you know, to continue. Child number two, five weeks early. Child number four, skipped over three. Child number four spent the first four weeks at CHOP, Children's Hospital, born Chester County, but... Medivac, is that what you call it? Helicopter ride to CHOP and then spent the next four and a half weeks in CHOP. Very traumatic experience for us all. But nothing was like the birth of our third child. Third child, I'm just going to give you the condensed version because I think I've shared with you before. But basically Amy was really, really pregnant and wanting to get rid of this child. So she took, and I'm telling you ladies, pregnant ladies out here, this stuff works. She took a couple gulps of castor oil in order to start contractions. And boy, did it. I had about an hour, I had about a 45 minute drive ahead of me. You wonder, you ask why, that's a whole other, a whole other uh, story. But I had to get her 
in, a, in like a 45-minute drive, I had to drive her, her screaming, telling me to pull over and me to deliver the baby, which is something I would never do. I knew that was words of Satan. I don't deliver babies. So I drove. I remember I had my Plymouth, uh, what do they call this? It was like a, a claim, a Plymouth acclaim like screaming down Route 1 to the Jennersville Hospital, like 110 miles an hour, just flying, and Amy screaming, and it was this chaotic night. And from the moment she had her first labor pang to the, till I was holding our third child, Jesse, was like 42 minutes. It's craziness. I remember the birth of our third most vividly. This is a passage about being born again. Weird phrase. You think about it. And, and, and Jesus is having this conversation with a smart guy, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is having a hard time understanding it. He's talking about spiritual birth. If I could summarize this morning's sermon, I would say it this. Born once... Die forever. Born twice, live forever. What does that mean? Let's get in and try to understand it. Now, R.C. Sproul is reading his commentary, which was really helpful to me on this passage. But he says, he tells a story. uh, Well, He says that this is one of the most difficult texts he's ever wrestled with. Now, this is a man who's, been, who's gone on to be with the Lord, but spent 60 years preaching and teaching God's word. And he says that this is one of the most difficult texts. And one of the things he did was he connects this, and you should do this, you should connect the text that you're reading now to, to the last thing that the writer said. And the last thing that John told us was that Jesus, Dave Sharp preached this sermon, he said when Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to man. Why? Because he knew what was in the hearts of men and women. It doesn't just mean men, people. He didn't entrust himself to people. And so what John does is says, now, there was a man. What kind of man? The kind of man that, I don't entr- that Jesus doesn't entrust himself to. And he's going to have these kinds of encounters over and over. We got Nicodemus. We're going to meet the woman at the well. We're going to meet um, a, a governing official who has a, a, a son that needs healing. We're going to a, a, meet a man soon. We're going to meet another man that uh, needs healing and wants the, the waters to be stirred in the pool so that he could be healed. All of these people are people just like you and me that Jesus doesn't entrust him himself to because he knows what's in their hearts it doesn't mean he doesn't love them what Jesus does in all of these interactions though is we see that Jesus knows what's in the heart of a person and he speaks in a way that goes right to your heart Jesus knows what's in your heart right now and he speaks to what is in your heart. Jesus is not the most diplomatic 
in his conversations. His concern isn't diplomacy. His concern is truth and redemption. And so he speaks without a lot of nuance, very plainly, right to our hearts. May he speak to our hearts this morning. Now, what we see Jesus saying to Nicodemus, well, first let's back up and just talk about Nicodemus for a minute. Nicodemus was one of the religious leaders of the day. Probably one of the, we know he was a Pharisee, probably an elite group of Pharisees that the Bible often references as the Sanhedrin. So he was like a special, he was, he was like a governing official, a religious official, but he would have been like a senator. So he, he, was, he was up there. He had some rank, okay? He comes, we're told, at night. Now, there's a lot of theory about that. Some people would say he's, he's there at night because if the rest of the senators knew he was there talking to Jesus, he'd, he'd be in a lot of trouble. So he came under cover of darkness. There's other theories that this, the Pharisees were often teaching people and they taught people from sunup until sundown, like into the night. They taught into the evening. And so this would have been common. Who knows why he came at night? But I think the theory that Maybe he was concerned about what people might think of him if he was talking to this radical Jesus is a fair estimation. He is a teacher of Israel. In fact, he's rebuked by Jesus because in this passage you heard him say, you're a teacher of Israel, you don't even get the basics. You don't even understand like this basic stuff. So, that's a little picture of who Nicodemus is. It's likely that he is an older man. You don't become like the teacher, recognized as the teacher of the Pharisees unless you put some time in. So he's probably an older man. He is sarcastic towards Jesus. He, Jesus gives him a response and, and, we'll, and we'll see, we'll look at that response a little closer, but he's, he's kind of a smart aleck. You know, he's kind of like, oh, so you're supposed to climb back up into mother, mother's womb and be born again? Is that what you're trying to tell me? He's smarter than this, but he doesn't understand Jesus. He doesn't understand this whole idea of, of a second birth, of being born twice. He's got questions just like we should about this text. So that's a little bit of Nicodemus. Now, Jesus responds, and he does it three times. Somebody called it out. I said, listen for the words that are repeated. Somebody said born, and that word was repeated, but something else was repeated. You guys caught it. Somebody shouted it out. Truly, truly, truly. Jesus says that statement three times in response to Nicodemus. Truly, truly. And then he says something. Then a little, they have a little more interaction. Truly, truly. Jesus says something. A little more interaction. Truly, truly. So there's these three times that Jesus says truly, truly. Why does he say truly, truly? Some translations, verily, verily. Why does he do this? What he's saying is, I'm going to say something that's true, true. I'm not painting this at all. I'm giving you unvarnished truth. Another way of saying it is something that I heard my dad say growing up. And I don't think it was because he was influenced by this passage. 
My dad said something. When my dad really wanted us to get where he was coming from on some issue, usually he was angry at this point. He would say to me and my, I had four brothers. So you can just imagine the trouble we were causing. So when my dad said, hey, mark my words, that meant you better pay attention and you better do what he said. When we got older, it wasn't beyond. My dad, I, I, sometimes I feel like in my illustrations, I paint my dad as, as a bad dude. He was a loving guy. We loved him. Never hit us, but seemed like he wanted to at times. And, and he was a big dude. My dad is big. Some of you guys know my, my, my little brother, Rory, who's 6'6". My dad is like 6'4", you know, 240 pounds. He's a big dude. And when he says, yo! Mark my words. You do that again, it's going to be you and me. And if he took his false tooth out, you knew, you knew he was not afraid of you. No matter how young and arrogant you were. So when Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying, Nicodemus, mark my words. I'm telling you truth. Giving it to you straight. And then he says, mark my words, unless, and he says this on three occasions, unless, unless, unless. I've titled this morning's message, unless. Because this unless word is important. Unless this is true then you won't get the desired outcome. Unless. The word unless functions as a necessary condition. Unless this is true, this won't be true. It's a, it's a condition. A necessary condition. It is in Latin... I'll say this, not because I want you to be impressed with my understanding of Latin. I don't understand Latin. Except for when I was studying for the SATs, I felt like it was helpful. Although I didn't do very well in the SATs. In Latin, this is a sine qua non. A sine qua non. It's a necessary condition. It means something that has to happen before a desired consequence follows. Life is full of these. So a, a real impressive way to say it is these are sine qua nons. And, uh, a less fancy way of saying it is these are necessary conditions. Uh, a way that I would probably say it just to be real clear is this has got to happen. Something's got to happen for this to happen. That's the street level. Unless you get this, you won't get this. Necessary condition. You tracking me? Three necessary conditions that are accompanied with desired consequences. 
Okay, so we're going to look at three of them. There's three right here. We're going to look at three. He said three. He said truly, truly. He said mark my words three times. We'll look at the three things that he said. Three necessary conditions that are accompanied with desired consequences. You guys with me? All right. I like that. With me. So, unless... Here comes the necessary condition. You are born twice. Unless you are reborn, you won't see heaven. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God can be represented as the place where God is manifesting his rule and reign forever and ever and ever. That's heaven. The necessary, if you want to see heaven, if you don't ever want to see the place, by implication, that is reserved for those who don't get born twice, who, don't, who are not born again, if you don't want to see that place referred to in the Bible as hell, there is a necessary condition. Unless, Jesus says, one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. You won't see heaven. Unless you're born twice, you will not see heaven. In, in addition to your natural birth, there is something more. You must be spiritually born. You must be reborn. It was a big phrase in the 70s. Born-again Christian. I'm older than most of you guys now. I hate saying it, but it's just true. My mom got saved in the mid-70s. She actually, I saw Christine here earlier. She was singing this morning. But her dad pastored the church that my mom actually went to. And, and they were, it was filled with a lot of people that were saved in what was then called the Jesus movement. So they were, they were interesting people because they looked like hippies, but they were all for Jesus. So got, you know, guys with really long hair, um, earth shoes, you know, peace signs. They looked like they just came off of a Grateful Dead show, but they were excited about Jesus. And so this phrase, are you a born-again Christian, became really popular because it was around that time that, that a Watergate scandal and President Nixon and all of that was happening, political times of turmoil as well. And, and Chuck Colson, Charles Colson, who was part of Nixon's cabinet, actually got saved through all of this and went to jail for his part in Watergate. And, and he, got, he became a Christian, and he wrote a book that became famous called Born Again. He's referencing this passage. I remember, I think I had a shirt. One of my brothers and I had a shirt where um, it was just like, just picture like a T-shirt from the 70s, and it had a hand on it like this. Somebody giving the peace sign, and then underneath it said Born Again. And my brothers and I wore those T-shirts that my mom had given us. A born-again Christian. Do you know that that phrase actually is redundant? 
a born-again Christian, what Jesus would say, he says it's a necessary condition. You've got to be born again. So if someone says, are you a born-again Christian, you say, is there any other kind? <laughs> because you've got to be born again, Jesus says. You've got to have, everybody qualifies for death forever. You're born. You're here in the room. You're listening at home. You're downstairs. You're listening. You qualify. You met the necessary condition for hell. But you have not yet, well, some of you have, uh, many of you I hope have, have met the necessary condition for seeing heaven. You've got to be born twice. You've got to be reborn. You've got to experience spiritual birth. There's plenty of unregenerated people that attend churches. You guys know that, right? There's, there's plenty of people who profess Jesus, but have not been, not have experienced this rebirth, this spiritual birth. It's not just a professing faith. It's not just being a member in a church. It's not just having Christian parents. It's not just being raised in a Christian family. Those that see heaven are those that have experienced a supernatural transformation of soul. You have been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's a work of God's supernatural grace. That's what it means to be regenerated. Are you regenerated? Have you been reborn? Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Those are Jesus' words. Then there's a little bit of interaction. Nicodemus becomes a little smart with Jesus. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time? This is crass. Can he climb up into his mom's womb? again and be born Jesus answers him this is the second necessary condition which is accompanied by a desired consequence truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God second necessary condition unless a person is born of water and the spirit Desired outcome? They can't enter heaven. So, necessary condition. Unless a person is born of water and spirit, what in the heck does Jesus mean by this? That's a hard one. This one is the thing I spent the most time on, trying to understand this. And I'm still not quite sure how clear I am on it. I'm going to give it my best. But unless, Jesus says, unless you meet that condition of being born of water and spirit, then, and then he adds, it's not just that you won't see heaven. He says you won't enter heaven. This, this is why when, when, when I'm preaching, I, I want there to be this sense of like that Jesus would have created in this moment 
Like, this is serious stuff, guys. What I'm saying here is if you die having only been born once, then Jesus says, I'm saying what Jesus says is you won't see heaven, you won't enter heaven. Stuff is real. Like, you gotta, you got to start to wrestle with where are you going? We're a young church. You look out, look, look around at you. Mostly young people. Not, no, we're not burying a lot of people at Brandywine Grace Church. But people are living and dying. This stuff is life and death. When you are on your deathbed, these words will mean a lot to you. And I, and I want, and I, and I believe that the Holy Spirit would want to impress this truth upon your heart right now for yourself and for your kids and for your neighbors and for everyone around you that they would be able to know what's going to happen when I die. Jesus says you're either going to go to the place where, where those, you have membership if you were born once. You're going there. But if you want to be with me forever, John's writing this book. Believe in his name and have life now and forever. How do I get that? You've got to be born again. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus. You've got to accept Jesus. Not just profess him. Oh, I prayed a prayer. I go to church once in a while. I like Jesus. No. Have you been born of water and spirit? Have you been born again? The the, the question that everybody is asking right now or should be asking has to do with you. You should be asking yourself, is that true of me? That's what this passage wants to do. Now, should you think about others? Yeah, you should think about others. But it's first about in the mirror. Is that true of me? Have I, been, have I experienced supernatural? Have I experienced the supernatural transforming power of the Spirit such that I was dead in my sins and living like someone who was dead in their sins, but because of the mercy and the power and the grace of God, I have been made alive. Is that you? God wants that to be you. That's what Jesus is getting at. Born of water and spirit. What does this mean? All right, I'm going to give it to you. You guys can listen. I'm going to give you my explanation. You guys can listen to it and see if it makes sense. You can go home and do some of your own study and try to wrestle through these things. It could mean that born of water means naturally born. Born just like every child is born of a gush of water and blood and we won't get graphic maybe I just did but you've seen that you you've had to watch if you're a husband and you did those prenatal classes remember those classes you know I'm looking at people that have had these classes I remember I was watching those classes they were showing the childbirth and I was like whoa I don't know if I can do this but I didn't do like one guy in that class who fell out like boom fainted I said to Amy, be glad you're not married to that dude because I'm going to stand by you. He's out. He can't take a little bit of blood and water flowing. Anyway, some people think that's what he means by water. I don't think that's, that's it. I don't think that's what he's talking about because that's kind of what he's already said about being born again. He's saying something a little nuanced here. A lot of people think, unless you're born of water, baptism and of the Spirit, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about, oh, you got to be baptized and you have to be renewed, changed, brought to life, regenerated by the Spirit. So he's talking about baptism. 
Baptized by water, regenerated by the Spirit. That's a good thought, but I don't think that's it either. And here's why I don't think that. Because he was talking to Nicodemus, and he expected that Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Old Testament, would have known these things. And the Old Testament doesn't talk a lot about baptism, so it would have been wrong or odd of Jesus to rebuke Nicodemus for not understanding what John the Baptist had just started doing with this baptism stuff. He wouldn't have said to him, how could you be a teacher of law and not understand that? So in other words, we got to look into the Old Testament for some explanation that when we, then we can hold Nicodemus responsible for. So I don't think this is a reference to water baptism. What is it? In Ezekiel, and not just in Ezekiel, but the Old Testament prophets often spoke of the people of God needing two things. They needed to be purified because they were sinful. That's, what the whole, that's the whole sacrificial system. They needed to be purified, made pure before God. And they needed to be resurrected. They needed to be made alive by God. And so this idea of being purified, in order to be saved, sinners need their souls purified. How do you get a purified soul? Through the one who's talking. Through Jesus. How do you get made alive? How can a dead person be made alive? Through the work of Jesus applied by the Spirit to your heart. So when he says water and spirit, he's saying everybody who is not regenerated is impure and spiritually dead. The impure, the spiritually dead, no kingdom of God, no heaven. Jesus provides the, the, the blood and the, the water that purifies our souls, who purifies us through his work, and his spirit brings us to life. So you must be born of water, purified by the blood of Jesus, and you must be regenerated by the Spirit, made alive in God. I think that's the best explanation, but you guys could probably do some study and argue me that it's baptism or something else. I, but that, I think, is best you'll come to the same conclusion. If you're only born of the flesh, you don't get heaven. That's going to be the conclusion you come to. You have to be born naturally and spiritually in order to enter heaven. We, you're not born a Christian. That was the problem of the Pharisees. That was the problem of the Old Testament Jews. They thought that because they were children of Abraham, they automatically qualified. And Jesus is saying, no, doesn't work that way. The flesh, Jesus is saying, doesn't produce salvation. It was a common error of the Jews to think that they were, because they were descendants of Abraham, that equaled heaven. And Jesus and the New Testament teachers and the Old Testament prophets told them over and over again, that's not true. 
You may have been born to Christian parents. I've said this already. You might have been raised in a Christian home. You might have gone to a Christian school. Are those things wrong? No, of course not. But it does not make you a Christian. In order to be a Christian, you've got to be born of water and of spirit. You've got to have your soul purified by the blood of Jesus, and you've got to be regenerated by the Spirit of God, made alive. Otherwise, you are not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you won't spend eternity with Jesus. You won't see heaven. You won't enter heaven. Am I repeating myself? The third truly, truly, let's look at it. This one will be quick. There's a little interaction that they have again. Jesus, Jesus says, don't marvel that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. So he makes this reference to the wind. The Greek word, Jesus did a little play on words here. The Greek word for wind is pneuma. The Hebrew word for wind is ruach. And so he's playing on this idea of the wind and the spirit. And what he's saying is, you know that the wind is there because you see the consequence of it. You see the evidence of it. But you don't know how it gets there. You don't know where it comes from. You can just say, I see the consequences. I see the trees bending the wind's blowing. So he says of the Spirit. This, you see evidence of the Spirit's work, but you don't see the Spirit. You don't know how the Spirit works. What's he saying? He's saying your salvation is dependent upon the supernatural activity of God. How do you know if someone's a Christian? Well, that's between them and God. That's a work of God. But Jesus is saying you will see evidence of it just like when you see the wind blow a tree. You'll see the consequences of it. Have you seen the consequences of God's work of salvation in someone's life? Yes, you've seen it. It's all around us. Mark my words, Jesus says. Unless, and he gets at this at the end. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. So what he's saying to the religious leaders and to Nicodemus is, we have something to say. Jesus and his disciples have something to say to you, religious leaders, and you won't receive it. You reject it. And so I turned my last point into this. Unless you receive Jesus, you won't enter heaven. That, that, that's just this obvious consequence, right? You've got to have the necessary condition of receiving Jesus that you might get the de- desired outcome, which is living a life alive in him forever and ever. You see it? We can't cause that work, but we can see the results of it. Mark my words. There is an absolute requirement that must be met if a person is to live forever and ever in heaven. A person must be changed by God. Let me get the band to return. A person must be changed by God. Do you know this in yourself to be true? Our natural inclination is not to follow God. Our natural inclination is to run away from God. It's all through the pages of Scripture, and you see it in your own life. Your natural disposition is not towards God. It's to run away from God. 
It's to find joy and pleasure in things other than God. We don't, we're not born with real affection for the real Jesus. You've got to experience the rebirth for that. You've got to experience spiritual renewal. So, church, what does that mean? If you have any affection for Jesus in your heart this morning, It is because the Holy Spirit, in his love, in his power, in his mercy, in his grace, has been to the cemetery of your soul and raised you from the dead. Amen? Once you were dead, now you're alive to the things of Jesus. That's the spiritual That's what it means to be born again. Enjoying life in Jesus now and forever into the kingdom he has brought you into by his work on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. I didn't know where to end this sermon. I feel like I got to the end and I was like, that's it. That's it. You got to be born again. It's like this is the necessary condition with the desired outcome. If you want to see heaven, if you don't want to perish in hell apart from God, then the necessary condition is you must be born again. What I don't what else do I say? The end? I so I was really thinking about that. What what else can I say? And then I started thinking What about Nicodemus? He's having this conversation with a man. Remember, Jesus said he knew what was in man's hearts. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus and him are having this interesting interaction. But he says things to Nicodemus that gives the indication that Nicodemus ain't there yet. Nicodemus is not one who has met the necessary condition. So the question is, have you? Have you been born again? That's what this, this text is driving at. But then I, it bothered me. What about Nicodemus? Is, that, is this it? Then I said, does Nicodemus show up anymore in John's gospel? I want to know John's gospel. Not does he show up in the Bible and someone else. Does he show up in John's? That was my question. And he does. He does. Look at this. Just turn. 4, chapter 6. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Chapter chapter 7. Jesus and rivers of living water. Chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. Chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. Chapter 11, the death of Lazarus. Keep going. Chapter 12, the triumphant entry. Chapter 14, on the way, the truth and the life. Chapter 15, on the true vine. Chapter 18, betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Chapter 19, Jesus delivered to be crucified. Chapter 19, the end of it, Jesus is buried. Verse 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, that sounds like Nicodemus, for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body 
of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Nicodemus took Jesus' body off the cross and buried him. I think what John is saying is that he was born again. He loved Jesus. And over time, he came to understand those words that Jesus said to him that one night. That is my prayer for you.